millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rope Report podcast in association with the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav but after another sudden defeat, unfortunately, we lost away at Stoke City. Alex Neal's Stoke City. And joining me to talk all about it is Chris, who doesn't look like he's in the best of moods to talk about this game. I sound very uh, excited. I'm, I'm not really. I've had a couple of pints, which is why I may be up a height a little bit, but I'm not really in the mood to talk about this game, Chris, and I don't think you are either. I'm not. I've been dreading it. And, um, <laughs> no, I think I think I should have had a couple of pints before I start talking about this one. Because uh, yeah, I think I think it was good. It was good. Uh, you get a couple of pints down as to talk about this game. It's not a good game to talk about. Like I said to you before we came on air, I've been talking to a number of Sunderland fans today about the game, and they're all of the same opinion, really, that it was probably the worst performance of the season from us. It was just really disappointing, and I don't know how much of that is because of Alex Neal and the fact that people really just want to get one over on him, particularly since we uh, we got battered by them at the stadium. Like, I don't know, but if you're just judging this as a performance on its own, it was poor. <laughs> There's no getting away from it, really, is there? I mean, we'll get into the into the ins and outs of the performance, but it, it was very poor from Sunderland. I mean, uh. I know Tony Mowbray was, was keen to point out that the weather might have played a part in the fact we couldn't train properly and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't great, was it? I couldn't get over that. I couldn't get to saying, you know, <laughs> like you know how how much the do like how much the train. And he says, oh, that the players came back from international duty, not knowing what what they're supposed to do in their in their roles. And I thought, hang on a minute, you know, like what if they miss two days, they haven't got a clue what they're supposed to do in a Sunland strip. And I just, mm. yeah, he was clutching at straws. He he looked frustrated as anybody, and he was talking about the intensity and all this sort of stuff, which was exactly right. There was none. That was the thing that was lacking. It was at times in the game you thought that the referee blew the whistle because everyone just stopped or everyone was walking with the ball because it was so slow. The tempo was slow. And the most frustrating thing as well, and, and look, I'm, I'm going to have to stop myself going off on kind of 10-minute long rants, but uh, the, the most frustrating thing was that Stoke were absolutely crap and they were there for yeah. the taking. And we, I would say, you know, sometimes at this point you might say we made them look good, but we didn't. Like, even how bad we were, they were just as bad, but that's their natural, I think that's just how Stoke are. <laughs> But we yeah. we played well below par, and I mean, I, I mean, it's probably a good starting point, Gav. The team selection, because I think it all stemmed from there. Yes, well, yeah, that was a big talking point before the game. I'll be honest, when I seen the team, I thought 
balls on this guy picking a team like that. Friggin' hell, you know. I, I, I thought that's a pretty plucky team he's picked there. I mean, the the big thing that stood out was the fact that we went with no striker. And I know that Mason Burstow has been disappointing. He has. He's not been great since he came in. And I think the excuse he gave before the game, Mowbray, was that Burstow was one of a few players who'd been on international duty and hadn't worked with the squad. But still, <laughs> there was nothing up front. Like, that was the big theme of the game. It was just, we were great at the back, knocking it around. We were great in midfield, knocking it around. We were great when we we moved it wide. And then as soon as you were looking to get it to somebody at the top end of the pitch, it was non-existent. And after a couple of occasions, you can kind of excuse it and say, well, you know, give it 10, 15 minutes, we might, you might start building the ball up properly and, and getting at them and all the rest of it. But we didn't. And I thought at half-time it was clear we needed a striker on the pitch, just somebody to hit. Like, when we didn't want to do the short ball and we didn't want to go, you know, try and play our way up the pitch and all the rest of it, we needed somebody to hit. We didn't have it. I thought, right, okay, get someone on up there who can hold the ball up. And and he didn't do it. He left it far too late to change it, in my opinion. Um, But, yeah, I mean, importantly, the team selection from the start of the game, if you look at the side, we had Hume at left back. Fair enough. We don't have Elise. We don't have Sirkin. You know, if him or Huggins had played there, I wouldn't have complained. You know, they're interchangeable, really. Uh, 09 and Ballard at the back, that's standard. Pierre Ekwar coming in, I think he's probably been rushed in, if I'm honest. I think Dan Neal being missing has is, is exacerbated that. The fact that we had to bring in Pierre Ekwar, and um, I thought he, he looked okay, but the problem was that he was, he, he's been missing for three or four weeks, and ideally you would, particularly with the kind of injuries he's had, you would have maybe got him a 21s game in or a, you know 30 minutes off the bench towards the end of a game. And circumstance dictated he had to start the game alongside Joe Bellingham, who we all know is better going forward than he is perhaps playing in front of the back four, trying to trying to kick things off. Uh, Clark on the left, standard. He was always going to play. Bar playing out on the right. Interesting, because Patrick Roberts started as well. So Patrick Roberts kind of played more like a centre forward in this that that was what was weird to me and I'm going to come to you on this because we had Roberts and Pritchard basically playing as a front two I don't know but yes at times when we were deeper they kind of dropped into the midfield and linked up and all the rest of it but it was like we were playing 4-4-2 at times with two attacking midfield players who are both five foot six, five foot seven, up there and in many many occasions trying to win long balls and I don't get it. If I'm honest, I don't. I don't get it. You know, I don't get it at all. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. When I saw the the team sheet, my heart sank because you're going you're going mm. away to Stoke City, and you can say whatever you like about Stoke City, but and and Alex Neil, you know, as much as we didn't like him for for what happened and all this sort of stuff, he comes up with a game plan, and his team's battle and fight, and you play a team like that, and you don't have something to to try and get the ball to stick and you're going to be in trouble. And I just didn't get it. It just didn't make sense. I mean, let, let, let's work from midfield and go go to that kind of front line. But Ekwa, let put it this way, Ekwa wouldn't have been in the team if Dan Neil hadn't have been sent off against Middlesbrough. Even yeah. at this stage, he would have been on the bench and you know it would have been Dan Neil alongside Job. Ekwa was rushed back, which again highlighted, you know, when we talked about in the transfer window about the central midfield area, it's obvious now, you know, we had one suspension, Ekwa took a knock, and now we're kind of throwing young lads in when they shouldn't be thrown in, when they're 70, 80% fit, whatever he was, mm. clearly wasn't fully fit. 
I'm trying to kind of nurse him through the game, which is ridiculous. We don't really don't want to be doing that with young lads. And uh, yeah, all it took was a knock to Ekwer and a, and a red card, and that's it. We look short in the middle. And that front line, I just didn't get it. I mean, for a start, Pritchard being pushed so far up, up the pitch, it meant that Job was then trying to kind of plug that gap. So then you had almost like a almost like a line of players. You almost had Ekwer sitting in front of the back four, then you had Job, then you had kind of Pritchard and Roberts who were doing taking up weird positions. But then the daft thing was you you were then playing the ball long to them. So we weren't even mm. getting our passing game going and, and coming short and kind of offering, you know, all these players you think Pritchard, Clark, you know, whatever, Roberts, Barr, coming short for the ball. But we were playing, we were trying to get up the pitch too quickly. We were playing 30, 40 yard long balls to, to Pritchard and Roberts. And you were just, it was just madness. And this was, you know, considering how early the goal was, it was obvious even before Stoke took the lead. And the other thing I didn't understand is if you're going to have Roberts and Barr in there, and again, Barr's already shown this season, and I think he showed last season as well, he's not, he's not a lone striker. He's a winger, he's a tricky, he's a tricky player. He is not a lone striker. You know, he then he puts Roberts in that position and he's just as lost in that position. And that run, if you go back to the Borough game, that run that Roberts did from the byline into the middle and then weaved his way in and what he does out wide. Roberts is a wide player. He needs the mm-hmm. he needs to start at the touchline and he does his thing from there. He can't play in the middle. He can't, you know, these players can't hold the ball up. You're trying to play balls into their feet. They've got giants behind them, kicking them up a height. None of it made sense. I mean, even before, I thought we looked lost even before kind of Stoke took the lead. And that, that was ridiculously early. But I, I just didn't get it. And it's, it is slightly worrying. And I said this after the Borough game that I'm a big fan of Tony Mowbray. I really like him. I, I'm not, I don't want him to go anywhere. I think he's done good things for Sunderland. I think he will do good things for Sunderland moving forward. But in the last two games, I think he's got it horribly wrong. I thought he got it horribly wrong in the second half against Borough and didn't give the side much of a chance. And then at Stoke, I honestly thought the players came out and they looked like they had no confidence in what they were being asked to do. They looked lost. Roberts and Pritchard did not look like they knew, right, this is the game plan. This is what I've mm-hmm. got to do. They seemed to be just wandering and not didn't have a clue what they were meant to be doing. I felt that about Jack Clark. I don't know if you you did too, but um, I think he was just frustrated. Yeah, very frustrated and was trying too hard. It was like I think often under Mowbray, I feel like, and this is a positive. I I, I feel like when when he puts a team out, they do know what they're doing. I feel like everybody knows their job. Mm. I feel like when subs come on, they know their job. But in this game, they definitely didn't. And I felt like Jack Clark was a big. I, th- I thought he really suffered as a result. He was trying too hard, and you, you discount that goal that he scored. Nothing came off for Clark, and it's almost like if Sunderland as a team play poorly, and he plays poorly, you you know from sort of five minutes into the game what's going to happen, don't you? It's it's but, like you need to see him with players around him who know their jobs, so he can just do what he's good at. Well, well, what you've just said there, players around him. Half half his problem was with because of the system we were playing. When Clark was picking up the ball, there was nobody within twenty five yards of him. Like it was just bizarre. Yeah. Like he he was basically asked to say, right, you you take the ball, and Pritchard Pritchard and Roberts were take like I said, taking up bizarre positions. Nobody was really offering themselves, and then Clark decided he had to do it on his own, and then mm. 
basically he, he had no confidence in what he was doing because he, he was basically being forced into trying to go on a mazy run and take a couple of players on. And like I said, just none of the players looked like they were, had any confidence in what they were supposed to be doing or what they'd been asked to do. And, and that's and, and if you're going to play a system like that, if you're going to play four, basically four in a front line who were all tricky, small, technical players, like they need to get close to each other and play off each other. Like you look last season, the brilliance of Roberts and Ahmad was because half the time they were standing no further than ten yards away from each other. Now, if you've if you've got the likes of Bar Pritchard, Roberts, Clark, they they need to play in triangles and get close to each other. They they never mm-hmm. seem to kind of come short. Everything seemed to be going long, which made absolutely no sense. Correct. Anyways, seven minutes into the game, and you know how bad I am with names. Ryan Mimi. I don't know how you say it. M M A E E. That's how you spell his name. Yeah, I'm. I'm always going to butcher that. That goal. Let's talk about it. Handball, in your opinion? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's no, no obvious, doubt, is it? it? It's no yeah. doubt, is it? I mean, the, the biggest sign of a pain handball, which oh, I, don't, I don't even know how the referee made. I, I mean, if you if you look at the referee's position, he's standing about ten yards behind him, but he's kind of standing directly behind him, so you can slightly understand if the referee's missed it. You can kind of understand. But the one that gets me is the assistant, who's standing directly mm-hmm. opposite. How has he not not spotted that when he's looking directly at the ball? And the biggest the biggest telltale sign of that it's bounced off his hand, like if it had bounced off his bicep, which is the only, you know, the only thing you can think of as why they didn't get a, give him ball. The ball goes down, but the ball pops up off his arm. So yeah. it, like the direction of the ball tells you what it's hit off. Like it's it's clipped off his arm and gone up. It wouldn't have hit off his bicep and gone up in the air. And uh, <laughs> but the, but the thing is about like right, it's handball. I think we can just park that because it's handball. Referee got it completely wrong. But the the goal came from how we set up because if yeah. you if you watch, it's a long ball forward to Patrick Roberts in the air, and you watch there was a there was a replay from the, there was a camera angle that looked onto to our goal. And it showed the long ball forward to Roberts. And the defender like clearly won it. I mean, Roberts didn't even kind of challenge for it because he was like, what's the point? Just, just point out at this stage, by the way, I saw a stat on Twitter last week. Patrick Roberts has won six headers in his career. Yeah, exactly. So this ball <laughs> this ball was played 30 yards up to Patrick Roberts at head height. This defender yeah. won it. And you watch Patrick Roberts' reaction. His hands go up in the air as if like, what the, what am I supposed to do with that? Then the defender wins it. Then they get the ball, and it, you know, and then it gets popped into the middle. But it all came from us playing a long ball up to Patrick Roberts. The other thing is about if you go, if you right, okay, yes, it's handball. But when they played the ball forward, Ballard went to challenge in the air, but he did. He basically left his man to challenge in the air, and Luke O'Nine standing behind Ballard, so there was a free man, the guy who ended up actually scoring. So. Basically, we had two. We had kind of all nine was covering Ballard with a with a challenge in the air rather than marking his man. It was just bizarre. The defending was just all over the shop. Like you know, with two centre halves, if one goes, like and there's there's two strikers, the other one's got to to mark the other man or sweep in enough behind where you're covering enough where you can cover any eventuality. But it didn't yeah. work that way, and and so all nine was completely. He was just kind of completely out the game. When the ball went, yeah, okay, he handballed it to, to get in front of him. But the other, Huggins as well. Huggins didn't tuck in enough. 
and that the guy who scored, I'm not going to butcher his name like you. I'll, I'll leave you to the <laughs> names. But he he was left completely alone because O'Nine was out of position, Huggins was out of position, and yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it was handball, shouldn't have been given. But at the same time, we didn't help ourselves either. We didn't defend no. it at all. No, I I can't disagree with any of that, and I think um, I kind of try and compartmentalise the two parts of the performance. You've kind of got right. We were shit. There's no getting away yeah. from that. Nope. Every Sunderland fan watching that game knows we were terrible. But that's a big decision early in the game, which if the officials get the job right, it could be a different game. And I know it's all coulda, woulda, shoulda in hindsight, but it's like, it, it's yet again, I'm sitting there and I'm going, well, if, if the linesman does his job and that gets disallowed, yeah. it's nil-nil. And then it's a different game. After seven minutes, we're one nil down to a goal that shouldn't have stood. And... And let's say I've talked to a lot of Sunderland fans this weekend who who watched the game, and they're all really disappointed with how we played. But I can't help but sit here and be like, "But that goal shouldn't have stood." And <laughs> I know it, I, I, I'm not getting away from the fact that we should have done better. We should have been better. That goal shouldn't have happened. We made mistakes in the build up to the goal. It was poor in the second half. We just weren't enough of a threat. But yet again, I'm sat here talking about an official that's made a made an incorrect decision that's gone against us, and I'm re- I'm just I'm I'm beyond frustrated oh. with all of this. It's I know what I know what people are going to say. Listen to this. I know I know people are going to be like, yes, but you kind of deal with the you, you deal with the hand that you've been given and all the rest of it. I just seven minutes into the game, somebody handballs it and scores. It just pisses us off so much. And I know we were shit, and I'm not getting away from that. Let's just say that was a perfectly legitimate goal. It bounces off his thigh, it drops to his foot, and he scores. Then we're talking about all these other things, you know, we're talking about how it was a poor, poor ball forward from Patterson, 0-9 wasn't good enough, all these other things. Perfectly legitimate. And even in, in, even in critique of the goal which stood, you can sit here and say, we should have been better. I, I, I get it, but I'm still sat here and I'm like... Fuck's sake! Another bad decision has gone against us, and I'm I'm just I, I don't know what else to say now. It's like it it feels like it's every week. You're right because with the way Sunderland are, especially you know you, you look this season, that when we take the lead, that that's it. It's pretty. It's you know it's almost game over. You know when we keep yeah. the ball and we get we get our tails up. You wouldn't be surprised if you know we started off slowly, we nicked a goal, and then went on to win three nil. Look at Blackburn. We weren't great at Blackburn, but because we got QBR, our... QBR yeah, was another QBR, one. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. when we get our noses in front, the tails go up. We've got cracking players who mm-hmm. keep the ball. And even when we're not playing well, we can end up winning comfortably because we get that confidence. And when you get in front, you know, you can keep the ball and there's no pressure in really kind of trying to get forward quickly or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, look, you're absolutely right that. <laughs> who knows we you know we'll never know now but you know you're right a, a referee's decision almost kind of ruled that out but yeah you know we have to come back to the fact that we again we didn't help ourselves not just in the goal but we really didn't kind of even before then we didn't kind of give ourselves a chance and the, the whole no. like I said the, the goal came from the way we were playing and the way we set up yeah but we reacted well Jack Clark gets a goal Two three minutes later, really good play by Bellingham. I thought there was a point where you what there's a point where you're thinking like cross it, and then he doesn't do it, and then he moves, shifts onto his other foot, does like this little shimmy, and then gets a shot away, and it, it, it's all because of him. And um, I've been talking to a, a couple of Newcastle fans tonight in the pub, and they were asking about him, and I said like 
I, I can't help but compare him to his brother because he moves in the same way. He does the same things. He looks the same. I've watched a lot of Jude Bellingham this season for Real Madrid. And there are similar traits in his game. And that, that goal was like another hint. If, any, if, if there are genuinely scouts of all the top clubs sitting watching Sudden at the minute and watching him, 18-year-old and he's got the ability to do what he does and just shift the ball onto his wrong foot and then back onto his right foot and then all the things that he does. I'm not, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm telling everybody what they already know here, but <laughs> fantastic. Just, you know, if you can get a level of... Over the next sort of 18 months, if you can get a level of consistency out of him where he's doing that every game, but also dominating the midfield. And, and I actually thought he had a decent game. I know, I know generally as a team we weren't great, but I thought he played pretty well, actually, Bellingham, I thought. More often than not, when he received the ball, he was careful with it, and he tired towards the end. I think yeah. once he was dropped into defensive midfield, when Zekma come off, that that kind of like that restricted how effective he could be. But in this occasion, on this goal, where Clark was just in the right place and in in the right time, it was all because of of Job, and um, you can see why people are raving about him because I thought I thought he was great. Yeah, no, he was, he was, and it was a good it was a good game for him in terms of kind of his learning process because Stoke really targeted him and try to, you know, that left one on him every single time. You know, they were really going in hard on him. It was a physical game for him. But the goal, it really kind of told you a lot about the role he was playing because they tried to play out from the back and you look at the position he was taking up. He was pushed right up. He was pressing them. And he saw the pass even before their player had even played it. He was kind of onto it. He knew where it was going to go, picked it off. You know, they, they, as I said, they were trying to play out from the back, which I don't, I don't think that Stoke City team should should ever do. Um, they, they've got players <laughs> good enough, but uh, but yeah, he read it. He was there, and um, but the the best thing about it is that you know you get in, you get yourself into a position like that. You've won the ball high up the pitch, and you know the the main thing when you're in that position is to have some sort of end product. You know, whether it's a, a shot on target or whether it's a cross, to, and you you pick a player out or whether. You, you keep possession, whatever it is, as long as you've got an end product and you don't just kind of waste that opportunity. And like you said, turn kind of a couple of players inside out and got a shot off. And that that's all you ask, you know, that you get into that position. You've you've done the hard bit, you've won the ball back and then you, you do something with it. And he did. And that, that gave Clark kind of an easy finish. But like I said, it, it, it said a lot about the, the role he's got in the team where he's expect if they're playing in a two or if he's playing with Dan Neal or, or you know, that he's, he's expected to sit where way ahead of him so he's kind of really on the front foot he's pressing the, the opposition a, a good performance but I bet he'll have some uh, bumps and bruises <laughs> um, after yeah. that because uh, like I said Stoke really went for him yeah that was about as good as it got first half was poor I thought it was just a poor game of football two teams who weren't really at it um, I think whenever we got forward at Stoke though they were very well organised and that's what I I was expecting. If you listen to Tony Mowbray in the pre-match press conference, he was saying, you know, I've I've played against Alex Neal's sides right down the years. They're always well organised, they're well drilled. And that was really it. That's pretty much all they had. They took a couple of chances they had and they were well drilled. And I thought that they were pretty effective in nullifying Clark's threat. I know he scored, but every time he got the ball on the left-hand side, there were three players around him and... It was a pretty dull first half, but what Stoke did very well was managing the game and slowing us down and giving away wow. niggly little fouls, which that the ref was, was never going to boot them for. Yeah. That was the main thrust of the game, really. I mean, it, it ramped up significantly in the second half. I'm looking here now. They had what? five players booked in the game, um, and, and arguably it should have been more, but that's kind of the way they that 
they really, in many ways, they they refereed the game to a certain extent, and they got on the refs' case when they wanted them to give a decision their way, and it worked. And I just think that it was a typical performance against Sunderland, where a team just knows how to shit bag their way through it. And fair play to Stoke, it worked. But you know, first half in particular, we were very ineffective, and I think that was in large part down to the fact that they set up to just bore us and make it difficult for us. Well, the only the only other chance or half chance they had other than the goal was that off the corner where, well, not cleared off the line, but, you know, it was it looked like it was heading for the far corner. And, yeah, we, we kind of got a clear, but that was it. That, that was literally all they had in that first half, whereas five minutes and four half time, and this is the one I kind of stung a bit because uh, it would have would kind of changed the game a bit, where Barr had that chance. And I'm, I'm, I know he was kind of a little bit under pressure, but I'm still not, not quite sure. Like, he went with the wrong foot. I just it, it's happened it's happened before where you know but I think it might have been a Coventry where Barr had that chance to play the ball across and he had yeah. this chance he had this chance again but whenever he's in those positions you're never confident you're never confident that he's gonna produce and end mm-hmm. up kind of scoring or finish it off and he went with the wrong foot and it all went wrong and it went into the side net and, and you know that 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 would have set us up nicely going into half time because like I said I mean we were crap and Stoke were just as bad. They were, they, I mean, what a horrible team. No way can Alex Neil be proud of that team. They're, they're, they're just awful. They're just kind of niggly fouls and all that sort of stuff. But the other thing as well in that first half as well, we seemed to keep switching it up. Like Bar kept went out to the, he was out, he switched sides at one point, then Clark went central, then Roberts went out wide. And, and I couldn't decide whether they were they'd been told to do it or whether it was just this fluid system where they just made it up as they went along because because like I said I, it was just another sign that I wasn't quite sure whether either Mowbray knew what he wanted them to do or whether the players knew what they were doing yeah that that pretty much summed up the rest of the game to be honest it was a yeah it was it wasn't great and they get that goal pretty early in the second half and Mowbray was at pains to point that out in his post-match. He said, you, you know, we at the start of both halves, we just weren't good enough. It, I don't get it. This, this, we are poor from set pieces. We've, we've, we've improved the overall height of the squad, but yet still, we don't look organised. Like, it, it felt as though we were marking areas. We were only marking rather than we were marking people. And that was what undone us on this goal, because we had lads in areas of the box ready to head the ball, but they weren't in the position where we needed them to be, which was where they scored from. It was yeah. bizarre, really. I don't know. It was it was just crap. It was crap all around. And, <laughs> and we, were, we, were, we were, like, yet again coming out in the second half really... Really slack. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the overall sort of feel was in the dressing room with the players. We will never know, but... We came out just looking not really ready. I don't know. We were kind of too too relaxed. Yeah, well, I mean, just on the corner, I mean, you're right. You know, I can't remember. I'm sure there was a mistake leading up to the corner, how they won the corner. can't quite remember. But the actual corner itself, you're right, because we've talked about this, us doing kind of zonal marking. But it was interesting hearing Mowbray say afterwards that he, and he looked really miffed off by it, actually. He said... Um, that it was it was meant to be Eckler's man, and he said Eckler yeah, lost yeah. his man for it. Called so him out, it was, yeah. Because we yeah we've talked about the zonal marking, but it seemed it seemed weird that Mowbray specifically said, "Oh, it was it was Eckler's man." But the other thing, I mean, I think, I think sorry, mate. I think I think the reason that he said that was because the interviewer specifically highlighted Eckler 
and yeah. said, he's been out a while, but he played well. And Mowbray yeah. was like, I think what he wanted to say was, no, he didn't play well at all. <laughs> well, at one um, point he says, I have to give him a slap before games to come <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. But the, the, the actual corner, the typical Alex Neil, I mean, they had worked on this because they, they knew what we're like. We, we've got a reputation now of set pieces. And they they just piled everyone into that six yard box and put the ball right underneath the crossbar. But the other thing they did, if you watch the player ahead, just in front of the player who actually scored, his job was solely to stop Dan Ballard from jumping. And he had hold of Dan Ballard. He basically just held him down. And you could see Ballard running up to the referee afterwards because that that was one player was just taken out just to keep Ballard away from winning the ball. And, and yeah, it was just too easy. I mean, right in front of goal, you know, I, I can't even remember seeing Patterson, whether he was even challenging for it or able to challenge for it. They'd obviously worked on it, take Ballard out, put the ball underneath the crossbar, and, uh, yeah, just far too easy. I don't really know what else there is to say about the rest of the game other than that it was crap. Um, don't think he got his subs right. <sighs> Thought he waited too long to make really obvious changes. Like, you know... We, we could tell we needed somebody up front and it was like, I, I don't know what minute it was when we brought on the first centre forward, but it was too late anyways. I'm just looking now. Rusin came on on 66, but he went right wing. Burstow also came on at the same time. He went up front uh, along with Bradley Dack, who looks like he's put about a stone on while he's been injured. <laughs> he looked like a Sunday league player. It, it, it gave it me did. hope. I've still got hope. I can <laughs> maybe I'll turn out for Sunderland. Um, yeah, nothing Nothing that he tried went right, put it that way. We weren't any more threatening. We, I mean, there was a point, I think, about... I think it might have been at the start of injury time at the end of the second half, where I can't remember who it was. We had two players up front. I think it might have been... It might have been Semedo and Dak and possibly Clark, I don't know. But there was a bunch of players up front. And Burstow was on sort of the edge of our box when he picks the ball up and plays a really, like a 70-yard ball forward diagonally. And then that's the centre forward. Mm. <laughs> he should be the one at the other end of the pitch trying to win the header. And he's mm. playing the long ball forward. We were without ideas. I think that was the point. It doesn't matter who yeah. had played that pass. The fact that your centre forward's going deep to pick the ball up and play a long ball tells me that nobody really knew their job on the pitch. That we yeah. totally lost our shape and that we were without hope. And... Um, a little bit like after the Borough game when me and you were talking about it, I just don't think Tony Mowbray got it right in no. terms of his decision making. And we, when when he gets it right, we'll sit here and we'll tell him, you know, you've done that well, it was great, it was this, that and the other. And at the other end of the scale, if he gets it wrong, we've got to sit and point it out. And I think, I think he got it badly, badly wrong. And I don't think the team selection at the start of the game was right. And then as it progressed and... I think every Sunderland fan watching that could see what we need to try and do. Get people up front, maybe go back to front a little bit quicker than we normally would, try and get it to stick up there so that we could get back in the game. And it was really, it was too late for me. And even when he made the changes, it just didn't work. Um, and I don't know about you, but the team selection at the start and then the subs during the game, it just tells me he doesn't trust the strike as he's got at the minute. I don't think yeah. he does. I think... It was sort of an easy excuse in front of the press to say Burstow had been away on international duty. You know, we're not daft. He's not played well enough to really be in the team. But at the same time, nobody is convincing when they come on the pitch. And I don't think Mowbray is convinced with him here. I don't think he sees Rusin as a striker. We're still waiting for Mayenda to come in, who I think he actually probably likes. 
And yeah, I just think that the game management, the team selection, the substitutes, yeah, we let ourselves down ultimately. Yeah, I mean, it tells you everything, you know. If you look at if you look at the list of players who who were on the pitch for Sunderland in that game, you know, Roberts, Pritchard, Clark, Barr, Burstow came on. Hamia was on for just around ten minutes. Rusin, Dak, Oshish came on with about fifteen minutes to go. And the sum total of our chances or attack and play in that second half was basically when we hit the post um, from that Bradley Dak free kick, Ballard header hit off the hit off the post. Um, and that that was the sum total, you know, a, a free kick, you know, from from out wide, and that was it. And it's ridiculous, really, because those players are much better than that. And and you're right. I mean, I think, look, I don't want to put it like hundred percent or more, Bray. I I do think he got it wrong. Team selection was wrong. I've already said that. As you've said, completely agree. Subs were were completely wrong. Didn't make sense. Um, and too late. But the the other thing was that the players themselves. They weren't great. I mean, even even if the system was was crap, we'll never know whether they were doing what they were told to do or or, or <laughs> what. But um, you know who knows. But the the players were, were kind of off. They had an off day as yeah. well. You know that none yeah. of them none of them really came out of it um, with much kind of credit. Um, like I said, Job maybe. I, I thought the lads at the back were actually half decent, apart from kind of the mistakes of the first goal. Yeah, I, I saw I saw Stoke fans praising Huggins. They th- I saw a couple of them on Twitter. Thinking he played pretty well, and yeah, but right. I think I think we're clutching really. I think generally, yeah. and and I think the consensus, like I like I say, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who watch the game, and they all pretty much said it was the worst they've seen us play this season. I would probably agree. I would probably yeah. agree. Frustrating, frustrating because you know yeah. we drop drop points against Cardiff who didn't look great. Drop points against Stoke who were absolutely crap, and it's just frustrating because. You know, the, the points were there for the taking if we turned up and did our thing. Mm. We'll do some three-word reviews quickly. Uh, Glenn, Glenn says, he says, missed Dan badly. <laughs> yes, Dan Dan Neal, been our best player all season. Mm. You know, second half against Borough and then that full game there at Stoke. He was, he was clearly missed, wasn't he? I mean, <laughs> it's just, there's no getting away from it. And, um, you know, what could have been if the ref had, Ref had got it right against Borough, you know. We, we could have been a three or four points better off, but there we go. Uh, Chris Day says, doesn't trust strikers. I think I said that before about, yeah. about Mowbray. I think that's pretty clear. Paul Anderson says, new bogey team. Ethics, they've said no more excuses. Sun Until I Die have said, Alex Sodden Neil. Michael Bowers, start defending better. Old Papa Mowbray says, tactically all wrong. Matt says, play a striker. Glenn says, fuck me, ref. Uh, Cheeses of Nazareth says we are cursed. <laughs> uh, Jordan says Mowbray losing it. Well, come on, two bad results. Rachel Thexton says another apology incoming. Presumes she's talking about the, the PGMOL about that. Uh, Daniel Ray says Mowbray cost us. Liam says shite, shite, shite. Uh, Neil Chandler says we lack experience. Uh, Sean says why no strikers? A lot of comments about Mowbray here. A lot of people are not really in. I mean, these on, these putting these them apologies. on his Christmas card list. These apologies from the PG uh, PGMOL. I mean, what what are you supposed to do with these? Like frame them and stick them up in the academy, or <laughs> yeah, use thank, them for thanks, use lads. them for yeah, we got uh, beat. Yeah. Use them for bog roll. I mean, what what's the point? I mean, uh, what they just kind of. I don't know. Do we just collect them? Do we get? Do we get a, an extra point if we get five apologies or something? I mean, it's just pointless. There's <laughs> yeah, tons about strikers here. Tons about Mowbray. Uh, Daniel Gallagher 
leads us into the next segment, I think. He says, Leicester away next, with a very nervous-looking face emoji. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that quickly. We've got Leicester we on to? Tuesday night, Chris. <laughs> we have to. Leicester, who are absolutely romping it at the top of the league. They've lost one game in 12. They've scored 26 goals. They've only conceded seven. They've largely kept together the team which they were relegated with, which really is a, a decent Premier League team. You know, I'm just looking at the side that played against Swan. They won, they, they won Swansea 3-1 at the weekend. And... They're, they're starting 11. I'm looking right through it. They've got Pereira, who's their captain, is a Portuguese international. Feiss at the back, who was playing the Prem last year. Vestergaard, who scored and played a number of years at the Prem. Uh, James Justin, I think it's James Justin, yeah. James Justin, who is was one of the best players in the Championship, stepping up. Uh, and Didi, who had been linked away with big money moves and didn't go... Harry Winks, who has played for England and is still a young man. Jewsby Hall, who's probably the, one of the best players in the division. Jamie Vardy, who's scored for fun since he signed for Leicester all them years ago. Uh, Mavadidi, who is a young English prospect. And then the bench, Connor Cody, Kalechi Anacho, Hamza Chowdhury, Eunice Akun, uh, Cesar Cassidy, Mark Albrighton, Harry Suter, Patson Daka. I mean, that is a good squad for the championship. I think their manager's been rotating. I think he's just been swapping the team in and out with every game because he can, because <laughs> he's got like top players in every position uh, twice over. It's going to be tough, isn't it? Leicester away is possibly the, the most difficult game of the season. The only thing I keep thinking of is when we played Burnley away last year and they hadn't they hadn't not scored in a game at Turf Moor all season and we went there and got a draw. And it was because we we knew what the job was. And I suppose that's the thing with this game, is going into it, Mowbray is going to have to make sure that these players know, come on, lads, as good as we are, we've got to go there and we've got to really stay organised because they've got quality in every position. And if we aren't switched on, we're going to really, really struggle and it could be a long night. I mean, what's your hopes for this game? Is it just not get beat? Because I'd be happy, I'd be over the moon with a point. Despite oh, yeah. the last two results, I think anything sort of point or a win would be unbelievable in this in this situation because Leicester are clearly going to win the league. Yeah, well, regardless, I mean, even if we'd come out the last two games with four points, I'd have still been saying like a point a point would be good at Leicester. I, I wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't doesn't necessarily change anything. I mean, it might be more impressive now that we've lost the last two, but I'd, I'd still be mm-hmm. saying that. But, I mean, you know, just to kind of cling on to some hope, I mean, they've only lost one this season out of uh, at the first 12 games, and that was at home. So, I mean, that's something to, to kind of hold on to, I suppose. The other thing <laughs> is, you know, that, you know, you look at, you look at we played a poor Stoke side and hardly threatened them. Leicester in six games at home have only conceded three goals. Um, this, so the conceding won every other game, which is which is a little bit ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and and we we need we need to be on it if we're going to score. I mean, I think you're right bringing up the Burnley game. I think Mowbray might have mentioned it as well. And you can imagine him going in with a similar game plan. And he he said actually he, he hinted he said that the way Leicester play might suit us as well. So we might be looking for for a little bit more to to kind of try and catch them. Yeah. If if we kind of get decent possession of the football. I think you know if we get one, it could it could be a decent night. But um, I'm clinging on to that kind of nil nil type game plan that that we came yeah. out with Burnley. I think that's going to be the way forward. I'm just looking at the the game they've lost this season was at home against Hull, and 
In that game, Leicester had 21 shots, only one on target, 65% of the possession, nearly twice as many passes as Hull had. Hull had four shots on target from seven. So (laughs) I guess that was just an off night for Leicester. I mean, just looking at the team, the fielder that night, Casey Makatia, I think he's injured now. Uh, Kelechi and Nacho played. Just looking around the team, Callum Doyle, I forgot about him. I don't know if he's going to be injured for the game. But they've got a quality side, Leicester, and I think we, we kind of have to try and forget about what they can do again. I always say this, like, it's always about what Sunderland do. It was it, That's what it was on Saturday. You know, we were poor, and, yep. and Stoke managed to take advantage of the fact we were poor. Had had we turned up and only played in second gear, we would have beat Stoke because they were yep. shit. But in this game, you're looking at it and you're thinking, right, well, if we can go there and just understand that a point would be valuable, but at the same time, if we do sit a little bit deeper than we normally do, which we're probably going to be forced to because of just how uh, how decent Leicester are, that when we do break forward, we've got players who can can do things with the ball. Like I think Clark thrives in that situation, but... I, yeah, I'm clutching, if I'm honest. I think this is going to be tough for us. And yeah. what I'm worried about is that we get beat, which I think most people in the bookies will think will happen. I think they're all going to expect Leicester to win this game. But I'm worried we get beaten and the reaction is just poor. That that Not just from the fans, but from the players. That yeah. kind of we get carried away because we've already lost two games before this one. And like the reaction is, well, we've gone to shit. This is wrong, that's wrong. This was always going to be a hard game. That I'm, I'm keen not to just write us off, but at the same time, I, I think I think we're going to have to work very hard to win this. Well, yeah, no, that's, I mean, what what slightly concerns us is that uh, Tony Mowbray was talking about not having much time to work with the team on the the training pitch. Well, there's like a three day turnaround now between Saturday Tuesday. I mean, he's not going to, you know, he'd do well to come up with a brilliant game plan like with, with them on the training pitch because you're not going to train them kind of you're not going to go full hog because we're carrying injuries in the next three days on the training pitch so all eyes are going to be on the team sheet and what he does because there's what, do you, no... what do you think he does then what do you oh. think because obviously Dan Neil comes in that's so obvious but what, do you know what I've been thinking Chris and I don't know if the same with you but we've got a, we when you look at our squad now we've actually got a decent squad yeah and there hasn't been much reason to change it this season, but we've lost two games, and you know this will be the second of three games in seven days. Do you think he's? I mean, this is totally not Mowbray's style, but has he got to change it in a number of positions to just try and get a reaction, give lads a chance who've been waiting on the sidelines, or does he just do more of the same? Well, yeah, because um, because those lads now who came on against Stoke. Um, are going to be chomping at the bit to to, to start the game, but it, it all I think a lot depends on the reaction Equus had to to playing at Stoke, you know, because Mowbray said he was he had the ice on and all that sort of stuff. How much can he turn it around and play again against Leicester, or does Equus need to sit out or sit on the bench? Can he not start? Do we do we keep Equus on the bench just in case Dan Neil breaks down or to replace Job later on in case we want to defend? you know defend a lead or, or whatever you know so it, 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 it might depend on how fit Ekwar is because I, I just I think that's a big question mark after after the weekend it's it's all in the front positions because you, you've got to say well the, the back four being, we've got one of the best defensive records back four have been playing reasonably well although you know a couple of couple of mistakes against Stoke but it's in those front positions 
And you've now got those players like Rusin, like Burstow, um, well, Hamia, who uh, I'm not sure we'll get a look in, Oshish, um, he's pushing. Although the weird thing was that Bradley Dak got on before Oshish, even though Oshish has been playing really well, which made no sense. Um, maybe mm-hmm. maybe it was all about set pieces and we nearly got one a, a minute after he came on, but that's the only reason I could think of that Dak came on before Oshish because... We've been saying for weeks now, oh, he looks good, he looks sharp when he comes on, he's kind of, he had an impact, and, and he waited 10, almost 10 minutes after Dak came on, which which made no sense either. It's all going to depend on what, what he's going with in those front positions, what shape he's going to go with. I mean, again, my, my heart will kind of sink if he goes in with the same 11. I mean, I, he cannot go in against Leicester with the same 11 in a similar game plan. He has he has to change something up in that, in the, the kind of, in the final third. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because I think we're both pretty pessimistic about what could happen here. But yeah, I think it's going to be tough. Importantly, I think, I think collectively, you know, we are still very early in the season, and I, I don't want to get carried away if we lose another game. I think that we've got wins in us, and we will win games. We're gonna, we're gonna pick back up at some point. But it's just a, uh, it, 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 it's hard to feel optimistic when you've lost two games. I totally yeah. get it. And, you know, especially when you're facing the league leaders next up who don't look like losing a game anytime soon. So I I get it, but I'm not going to get carried away either way. A win win would be fantastic, but it's not going to be season-defining. If we can somehow go there, I know you said Filbert Street, but if we can somehow go to whatever the name of the season stadium is, um, if we can go there and somehow win it, I'm not going to be totally carried away. I'll be chuffed with the win, but at the same time, we are, what? How many games in the season now? I don't even know. About nine, ten. Pretty early in the season. Yeah, twelve games in the season. It there's no point getting carried away either way because we're sixth in the table. I know it's very tight in there, yeah. but we we're sixth. If we can get a point, that would put us on twenty points. That would mean we're still going to be in the top ten, probably. You know, coming out of this this run of fixtures, and I'm happy with that. But it's just. I think it's very easy to get carried away and, and all the rest of it either way. You know, if we win, yeah. we could be as high as third. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, that's how create that. The championship last season was just like this. It was close. that You could go anywhere from sort of third down to 20th and there was like five points in it up until the, the last sort of five or six weeks of the season. It's the same now and it's probably going to be the same right through the season and you've just got to, I think you've kind of got to accept in many ways that other than Leicester and Ipswich are right up there, Leeds are, are, are creeping behind Ipswich. Other than a handful of teams, it's much of a muchness. People are going to lose. When, teams are going to lose games against teams they shouldn't really lose against. We've done that this season already. This is one where we probably expect to lose, and I don't think my mindset will change a lot if we do lose. And this is the first time I felt like this is a season where I've gone into a game and I'm kind of expecting us to lose. You know, every other game we played this season. I felt really confident going into it. You laugh at me when I predict wins, but I, I can't with this one because they just Leicester looks so good. Yeah. So, like, it's not going to really change my mind on anything if we do get beat. Yeah. Well, look, all I'm looking for, considering what we've seen in the last two games with the game plans and all this sort of stuff, all I'm looking for is for us to to have had a solid game plan and for the players to go out and look like they know what they're doing and how they're set up and. So I'm looking for, you know, as long as we we look like we're out of plan and we have a good go at it, if we get beat, we get beat. Leicester are 
kind of running away with it a little bit and um and that's fair enough but uh but yeah i mean look just in terms of like you know quarter of the way through the season being sixth if we were asked that at the start of the season would you take that quarter of the way this, through the season absolutely we would have kind of snapped your hand off to be to be sixth and and that that is that's kind of about that's about our level you know being sixth in the lead we're, you know if you look at we haven't got a recognized striker who's kind of able to bang them in or you know we haven't got we haven't yet kind of identified someone who can knock in 15 20 goals this season so we're short of that type of player and without that we're not going to, we're not I don't think we're seriously going to threaten the top 2 this season they might surprise us they might go on a crack and run but you know being top 6 being around that kind of top 10 that is about with the squad we've got, with the age they are, with um, players kind of getting used to each other. We haven't, like I said, we haven't got that recognised striker. So, look, it's it's kind of we are we are where we're supposed to be. It's we're in a good position. Who knows? You know, we did all right in January in the in the window last season. So as long as we we set ourselves up nicely, we we'll be fine. We will, we will. Okay, we'll be back after Leicester. I'm sure with uh, with another review <laughs> slash preview. <laughs> Um, I thought we'd keep this short tonight, but we're 50 odd minutes in, and there we go. It's probably the most downbeat we've been on a pod this season, with which I guess in many yeah. ways tells you tells you sort of how the game went. And yeah, I'm sure we stopped. rebound. We've we've got a we've got a good team. It is just disappointing because not only I mean we barely mentioned Alex Neal. It wasn't about him really. Although I would have loved to have got one over on him. It was just Stoke. They're just a horrible team. I hate playing Stoke. I always have. All down the years, I've hated playing Stoke. Hate playing Stoke. Um, I've I've got a mate whose dad's a Stoke fan, and under Roy Keane, he bet me that Stoke would beat us for a fiver, and I said no, Sunderland will win. So, and I still own that fiver, and he reminds us every time I see him. Um, and I've managed to successfully avoid him uh, since Saturday, and I'm hoping to do that for the for the near future. So yeah, I'm not in a good mood, but. Let's see. We might beat Leicester. We might be all right. So, uh, cheers, Chris. Thanks as always, mate. No worries. And cheers to the listeners. Don't forget, we've got a book out. It's now available. It should be on your doorstep if you pre-ordered it. And you should already have it. And it's fantastic. SCFC365. Uh, you can buy it from the Love Supreme website. The link for that is on our Instagram bio. It's on our Twitter page. It's on the top of every article on the website. So if you haven't already got it, make sure you buy it. £10, all the profit goes to Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. Uh, if you don't want to buy it for yourself and you want to get it for someone for Christmas, I'm sure it'll be a fantastic little stocking filler for any Sunderland fan who loves reading about the club. So make sure you pick that up. And yes, we will be back after Leicester. We'll see you then. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.